This morning's reading is taken from Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. You can find that in the church Bibles on page 927 and in the large print Bibles on page 1490 or you can follow it on the screen. So Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish.' Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity. This is the word of the Lord. It's always ominous when the preacher walks up with a bag of something, isn't it? You never know quite what's going to happen. Um, Jonah is one of my absolute favourite books in the Bible. I love it partly because it's short, so you can read it while you're drinking a cup of tea and have that feeling of, yes, I've just read an entire book of the Bible. Um, I love it because it's short, it's fast, it's pacey, it's interesting, um, and it's absolutely extraordinary. And yet it's full of such richness um, and such fun. 
A few years ago, I was uh, leading a kids' summer camp, um, and I had this group of 11-year-old girls, uh, and we had great fun. We were out sort of playing games, wide games, making a mess, doing craft, uh, talking about Jesus, just having an absolutely fantastic time. And through the week, we as a group were working through the book of Jonah. Um, and, and the sort of second afternoon, my, group, my dorm group came up to me sort of conspiratorially. Joe, yes, we've got something we'd really like to ask you. And it always makes you a bit nervous when a group of 11-year-old girls come up to you conspiratorially and say, Joe, I've got something I'd like to ask you. Because you think, where on earth are we going? And uh, much to my surprise, they said, Joe, would it be okay if we read the rest of the book of Jonah? You see, we've got to the bit where Jonah's in the whale and we just don't know what happens next and, and we're really excited and what happens? So we sat down together, me and this group of 11-year-old girls, and we read the rest of the book of Jonah and they were so excited because they'd never heard the story of Jonah before and they had no idea How is God going to get Jonah out of this pickle? He's inside a whale. How do you even get out of that situation? Um, And they had no idea what was going to happen to Nineveh. So we read it together, and it was really great fun. Um, I love the book of Jonah as well, because it's full of little, slightly hidden secrets that you get to delve in and explore. Um, One of my favorite ones is Jonah himself, the name Jonah. The Bible is full of names that mean all sorts of of different things, and and they're often very indicative of what is going to happen to that particular person in their life. I wonder if you know what your name means. Have we got any Adams in the room? No Adams. Okay. If you have a friend called Adam, his name means man. It's not very creative, Um, but it comes from the Hebrew word Adamar, which means mud or dust. Um, So my brother-in-law is called Adam, and I like to refer to him as Dusty, um, which he doesn't particularly like. Um, If you're Andrew, do we have any Andrews in the room? A couple. Andrew, your name also means man, very creative, from the Greek, not the Hebrew this time. Have we got a Deborah? No, Deborah meaning bee, Um, so little bumblebees. I don't know if any of your friends called Deborah are quite sort of busy little bees. Um, have we got any Ednas in the room? No Ednas. I like the name Edna. I'm tempted by it. Um, Edna means pleasure. So if you've got a baby on the way, you know, it's a girl, maybe Edna. Pleasure. Bethany, the house of figs. Yes, a couple of Bethanies. Okay, does anybody know what Jonah means? Yes, one. Are you a Jonah? Do you know what it means? It means dove. That's unexpected, isn't it? Dove. Why dove? Well, doves in the Old Testament in the Bible are associated with all sorts of different things. One of the things that they're associated with is hope and salvation. If you remember the story of Noah, he sent a dove out from the ark and it came back with the good news that the floods had receded. So it's a good name. Doves in the Bible, they also moan and lament when things are going wrong. So it's okay if you're Jonah to have a good bit of a cry when something's unreasonable. Um, They're symbols of grief. They're birds of sacrifice. Um, And Jonah is named for what he should do. He should take hope, good news, 
to the people of Nineveh. He should go um, prepared to be a sacrifice, prepared to give his life um, so that peace and restoration can come to Nineveh. Jonah's not a brilliant dove. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. The story of Jonah is not the story uh, of an obedient servant, but the story of a great rebellion. See, Jonah is this amazing man. He's an incredible prophet. Under his time as a prophet, Israel goes from strength to strength. Archaeologists call it one of the most successful times that Israel had ever known. King Jeroboam, who's the king at that point, listens to Jonah, takes his advice when God speaks to him. Um, And during that time, the boundaries of Israel are extended to the point that they're spoken about uh, in the Bible, and they see the nation grow. And and life is pretty good for Jonah until this one day when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, go to the city, the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me. And Jonah is having none of it. Not a chance. He is not going to that place. Instead of getting up and going to Nineveh, Jonah gets up, puts on his dark glasses, because they all had dark glasses, grabs his hoodie out, Pulls up his hood, checks his passports in the pocket. Yes, excellent. Heads off down to the port and catches a boat headed in the opposite direction. Because let's be honest, if you're hiding from God, putting on a hoodie and heading off in a boat in the opposite direction is exactly the way to get away, right? I'm going to take this off because it's too hot. Now Jonah, this godly man, this sort of hero of the people, is hiding, he's running away from God, he's having none of it. And and reading this for the first time, if you know anything about um, the ancient city of Assyria, um, the ancient nation of Assyria, sorry, and the city of Nineveh, anyone experts on that? No hands in the room. Um, You would know that the Ninevites are nasty. They are famed for their cruelty. If we want an equivalent today, we might look at the people who are fleeing from the Middle East and and think about what they're fleeing from. That's the kind of place you're not going to head towards, right? You're going to run away from it. And we might look at Jonah and think, this guy is heading away because he's absolutely petrified. But remember, this is Jonah who's seen Israel go from strength to strength as the Lord has directed him. Remember that this is Jonah who walks closely with God. That's not the reason he's fleeing. He's actually not afraid of the Ninevites. If we flick forward to chapter 4, which Kate read for us, we'll see that Jonah runs away because he's angry. He says to the Lord, after the Lord has rescued Nineveh, after the Lord has decided to be merciful to it, he says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. Pretty big tantrum. Um, But he is furious at the idea that God would want to save Nineveh. That God would want to save this place. 
This is what the prophet Nahum says about Assyria. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your nobles lie down to rest, your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you, your wound is fatal. All those who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? That's what Nahum says about the fall of Assyria. Nahum and Jonah feel like Assyria has rebelled beyond the point of forgiveness. They feel like their treatment of the people that they've conquered is far beyond reasonable forgiveness. As I was reading about this, I was thinking, phew, well, at least we're not like those primitive, tribal, ridiculous people who think that others are beyond redemption. And then I was sat next to my grandfather on the sofa watching the one o'clock news and thinking, ah, ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, benefit cheats, murderers, paedophiles, How many people in our world are considered to be beyond reasonable redemption? Who is going to speak to them on God's behalf? Who is prepared to pray, not for their destruction, but for their salvation? I wonder if my rebellion is much less than the rebellion of Jonah, in that I find it terrifying to think of going and telling them the good news of God. So the story of Jonah is the story of Jonah and his great rebellion against God's desire to save the entire world and to bring it into relationship with him. But the story of Jonah is also a story of great power and great might. The city of Nineveh is called a great city three times in this very, very short book, making us think, gosh, this is a really influential place. This is a city that considers itself powerful and mighty. This is a city that has huge influence, that people are terrified of, that people are impressed by. And yet in contrast to the picture that we have of the God of heaven who created the land and the sea, their power is nothing, their strength is nothing, their size is nothing compared to the size of the God of heaven. You see, Jonah's sneaky little rebellion is not missed by God. His running away isn't hidden by dark glasses and sneaking off in the opposite direction. When Jonah flees, God demonstrates his power in a mighty way because he wants Jonah to know that he's really serious about him going to Nineveh. The ship that Jonah flees on is caught in this terrible storm. The men are bumped from side to side. The timbers creak. These are weathered sailors. It's not, this is not a small school. This is a mighty storm. And they genuinely fear for their lives. They're terrified. They call out to their gods, but to no avail. Desperately, they throw their cargo into the sea. They go down into the hold and they go, oh, what have we got that we can throw out that would make the ship a bit lighter? Oh, a PlayStation. Excellent box is empty. It's okay. Cushions. No one needs cushions. Let's get rid of them. Light bulbs. No. No one needs a spare light bulb. The ship is going down. We're going to die. What can we get rid of? Tea bags. It's an English ship. What? No. No tea bags. How will we survive? 
Let's get rid of the tea bags. And finally, everybody's favorite monkey. Let's get rid of everything. We are going to die if this will make a difference. Even my favorite toy monkey is going. It's not actually mine, it's my husband's, so it's fine. <laughs> I can throw it across the room, he's not even here. Um, they are desperate for survival. They are desperate, they will try anything, and they go down into the hold of the ship, and there's Jonah fast asleep. I mean, seriously, how can you sleep through this? We are about to die. And Jonah's already told them he's running away from God. So the captain wakes him and says, come and pray with us. This is the only hope we have. God is our only hope. This kind of weather you cannot endure on your own. They think this kind of weather can only come as a result of one of them having offended the gods. And they cast lots, and it's revealed that the one who is at fault is Jonah. So they ask Jonah, who are you and who do you worship? Because probably he came on board with a fake passport, not one saying prophet of God. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't let him flee, would they? Um, and he says to them, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And to these men who worship local gods, this must have been extraordinary. You see, the only idea of God that they had was one who looked after their tribe or their nation or their local area. And here is a man on their boat who says, I worship the God of heaven who made the dry land and the sea. And you can imagine that moment when Jonah says, I, may, I worship the God who made the very dry land and the sea. And you just think, oh my goodness, you idiot. Why are you trying to fly from the God who made the sea on the sea? I mean, seriously. Like, if he made the earth and the sea, where are you going to go? How are you possibly going to get away from him? How can you be safe? The psalmist wrote um, an amazing hymn of worship to God in Psalm 139. Worshiping God, he speaks of the amazing reach of God's presence. And he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Surely your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will be not, not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. Now Jonah must have grown up hearing this psalm, this psalm where the psalmist praises God for being able to be everywhere. So I don't know where Jonah thinks he's going, but it's not the highest heavens or the depths of the seas. And the men on the boat are terrified, absolutely petrified. And they turn to Jonah and ask him what should be done. And he says, throw me overboard. And these are nice guys. So they say, no, 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 we'll try and row back to the land. So they try and they try. And the storm gets worse. And the storm gets worse. And eventually, they pray to God and they say, well, this is your problem. We've done everything that we can. Please take responsibility. And they chuck him overboard after the monkey. And, they, and the calmness comes. And there's silence and stillness and terror. 
And these men fall to worshipping God because they've just discovered that there is a God of great power who sits in the heavens and who made the earth and the dry land and at whose will a storm can come and go in an instant. And somehow in his rebellion, Jonah has pointed these men to this God of power. So the story of Jonah is a story of great rebellion. It's a story of great power, but it's also a story of great mercy. If I'd had my way, I would have read the whole book of Jonah to you, but um, then I wouldn't have had time to say anything. See, Jonah's rebellion doesn't ruin God's plan. It allows God to demonstrate his mercy through it. He gets to the end point, but in an unusual way. Um, And most of you will probably have mainly heard of Jonah in the context of the whale. Most of you will know um, that Jonah is swallowed by a whale. He's rescued out of the depths of the sea, out of certain drowning by some great fish. If you want to talk about the fish later, we can. Um, But he's rescued by some great fish and then vomited up three days later. Alive, well, probably a bit shriveled and stinking a bit. Um, But Jonah is rescued. God is merciful even to this prophet who turns his back on him and runs. The sailors in this story are rescued from the storm. God doesn't just allow the storm to carry on anyway. He brings an end to it so that they too can be saved and they become people who get to know God and worship him. And in chapter 3, if we read on, we would see that Jonah is recommissioned and he's sent to Nineveh. And this time, he's taken the hint, running away is not an option. He actually goes. He goes and proclaims to them that their wickedness has come up before God. God has seen the way that they've behaved. He's seen their rebellion and their cruelty. And he's going to destroy it in 40 days. And here's a miracle. The people hear it. They hear this crazy prophet wandering through the streets saying, you are rebels, you need to stop this. And they turn back to God. They wear sackcloth and ashes, they choose to fast, they choose to pray to God, and God is merciful and chooses not to destroy them. God is merciful and instead um, begins to do a marvelous work there. And, And we know what happens to Jonah, he's furious. He has an absolute tantrum. He loses his temper with God. Um, This is what a different translation of the Bible says. He, He cries at God, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew that this was gonna happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy. Not easily angered, rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. That's what our God is about. He's about turning our plans of rebellion into a program of forgiveness. And God challenges Jonah's anger, expressing his love for each person in that city. He says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right, which is talking about, you know, they can't tell good from evil. And also many animals, so the animal lovers among you, God's concerned about them too. 
This is a story of great mercy. God turns every single situation that we see in this story around to an opportunity to know him, to love him, to be forgiven and to be rescued. And for some of us here, this will be um, a revelation about the story of Jonah. This might even be a revelation about God himself. You may have come here this morning thinking God is about judgment and punishment and been surprised to hear that God is about mercy and rescue and forgiveness. It may be an opportunity for you to explore for the first time who God says he is, that he is about um, mercy and justice and forgiveness. For some of us this morning is, is a reminder of the wonderful God that we serve who is so powerful, so merciful, and so ready to welcome rebels home and to turn their situations around. And I want to encourage you as we come to the end of, of this that actually God is really interested in your story. You see, we've seen the big picture of the whole turning around of Nineveh. But God has this amazing way of being interested in the individual. He's interested start to finish in Jonah's story, in changing Jonah's heart, in changing Jonah's situation. Even when Jonah gets to the point where, um, if we were to use today's phrase, he wouldn't darken the door of a church because he's turned so far from God. God is interested in the big picture and in the individual. And I wonder what he's saying to you today. Amen.